Good morning. Let's give it up for the band and them leading us this morning. Great job, you guys. Again, really picked my spirits up. I, I know I needed that. I, it was encouraging to me. I hope it was for you as well. But it was great hearing that. Um, you can open uh, the scriptures up to 2 Kings chapter 2. If you need a Bible, a paper version, raise your hand and they'll get one to you. I do encourage you, if you have a smartphone, to get the U version on your phone, and then you will have it with you anywhere you go. And even when it's dark, you can read it. It's an amazing thing. Second Kings chapter 2. And what I wanted to talk to you this morning about is who are the people and, and what people get used by God? I know that there's been many times in my life where I've wondered, God, I want you to use me. What does that look like? And I can't tell you how many times people have come up to me and say, hey, I want to do something for God, but I don't know what it is. And, and maybe you're feeling like in that space right now, like I want more out of this life of, of following Jesus, but what does it look like and how do I step into it and where can I be useful and, and what things can I contribute? You know, I don't spit out poetry like some of these guys, you know, and I can't sing like some of these people. Man, there's some people singing and you're just going, I will never sing again. Not if, if that's singing, I don't know what it is I do because I don't do that. And there are people who are just speaking out this poetry and it's like, oh man, the way you weave those words together. Brian is still just one of my all-time favorites. That guy is just amazing. He says things and it just hits you in the heart and you think, I can't do that and I can't do that. What can I do? How can I be useful to God? And so I want to look at some things that might help us to see who are the people that God looks for and how do people take a role into the work of God. And so in 2 Kings chapter 2, starting at verse 1, we have the story of Elijah and Elijah. They sound similar, but they're different. And the way I know who was first is because it's alphabetical order. That's how I cheat, okay? Elijah was the first one. Elijah came after him. So if you were wondering about that, that was free of charge. You get to keep that. Verse 1, it says, When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elijah were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elijah, Stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elijah said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The first thing we see here is that there is a desire in Elijah to want something. And one of the things that I think God looks for, and I know one of the things that I want to see take place in anyone who is a part of serving here at Genesis is I want to see passion. I want someone who wants to be there. I want ministry to be something that someone wants to be a part of. It's not the job you have to do. It's something that you want to do. It was great as we were setting up 
the stage and putting up, we had some pallets and we weren't sure how we were going to use them. I was kind of scared. Alex said, hey, you know, we need to go get some pallets at this place. We're going to use them. I was like, okay. And we went there and I'm so, so what do you got in mind? He's like, I don't know. I'm like, well, what are we going to do? I don't know. And I'm like, well, don't you have an idea? No, I don't have any idea. Let's just take this and let's take this and let's take this. And so we loaded up my truck with these big, like 10 foot pallets and we drove them through the building and we get there. And so what are we going to do? I don't know. Let's set this up here and let's do this. And it's like, well, what, what do you think about this? No, what about this? I don't know. How are we going to secure them? I don't know. Well, we got to secure them. They're going to kill somebody if we don't, you know, secure them. And then Brian and boy came down there and they said, Hey, let's do this. I think I went somewhere. I don't know where, where I, I don't know where I went. I just went probably to cry and just like, I don't know what's going to happen. We're going to kill somebody. And I came back and then they had them all set up and it looked amazing. And it was like all oh, this. And all of a sudden there's this energy and this passion that starts to develop. Like, this is what we want to see take place. This is cool. Oh, I like the feel of this. Oh, I like the stage. Oh, this is, and all of a sudden this kind of ideas started going, this passion. We couldn't wait for Friday because we wanted to test things out. And it's exciting. And so the thing I think that has to be there is the desire. You see, Elijah had the opportunity here to give up. To say, you know what? You want to go on? You go on. Me, I guess it's a long walk. Hey, you're going to be leaving anyway, so I'll just kick it here. And instead of going on to Gil or to Bethel, I'll just stay here in Gilgal. But he says, as long as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I'm not going to leave you. And so then they go down to Bethel. So they push forward and they push further. Verse three, the company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elijah and asked, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? There's always going to be discouragement. Don't you know he's leaving? And I love his words. Yes, I know, Elijah, Elijah replied, so be quiet. There are people who are going to try and stop you from continuing. They're going to throw water on the fire that's there in your heart. Hey, don't you know Elijah's leaving? Yes, I know, be quiet. And we have to quiet those voices that will try and still the fire that is in our heart. I can't tell you how many times where I feel like, okay, I, I've had enough. I don't want to do this anymore. It's too difficult. And someone will say something and it'll just discourage me. Oh, we can't do that. Or no, don't you know this will happen? And I just start to get all these voices coming down at me saying, stop, just stop, just stop. And I have to say, be quiet. I'm not going to let that voice stop me from moving forward. I'm not going to let it quench the fire that God has put in my heart. I need to push through it. Even though it's a journey and even though they, what they're saying may be true, I need to tell them, be quiet. I'm going to move forward. And so he says, yes, I know. Be quiet. Verse four. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, Elijah. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. And there is going to be time and time again for the opportunity to check out. And the person who is going to be 
useful to God is going to be the person who doesn't say, okay, I've gone enough. It's going to be the person who perseveres and goes on in spite of obstacle after obstacle. And so he says, no, I'm going to go further. Then verse 5, the company of the prophets, here they are again, at Jericho, went up to Elijah and asked him, do you not know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, so be quiet. Along the way, in your life, there are going to be the people who try and stop you. There are going to be the opportunities to quit. What are you going to do? Verse 6, then Elijah said to him, stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Verse 7, 50 men from the company of the prophets went and stood at the distance facing the place where Elijah and Elijah had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over the dry ground. That's pretty cool, right? I mean, everyone's watching. Here comes Elijah. He takes his cloak, rolls it up. I don't know if he makes like a rat tail out of it or what he does, but he takes that thing and then just smack, and the waters divide, and they cross over, the both of them. Now think of it. Elijah had three chances to stop. And if he would have stopped at the first, second, or third, he would have missed this. An opportunity to see waters part, to see something miraculous happen, to be able to be with Elijah as he crosses over and crosses through. This miraculous thing, if he would have stopped somewhere back before this, he would have missed this opportunity to experience the miraculous. I wonder how many times, because we give up, we miss the opportunity for the miraculous to take place in our lives because it got difficult, because some voice spoke into our soul and said, quit. And so we stopped just short of the river, just short of the miraculous taking place. And you see, what needs to be a part of the person who is going to be committed and to be serving God is there needs to be a passion to see things through. I think I shared it last week. What's most important about those who are going to be a part of service is not their talent, but is their faithfulness. Those who will stick it out. Those who, when things get difficult, when it's raining and you still have to bring the trailer in, and still have to load everything up. When it's getting late and you still have to clean up, the people who are faithful are the ones who are there to experience the miraculous. You know, we took about a three-month break at Grassroots just because we felt like we needed to change things up. We needed to kind of start things over. And again, our intention is for Grassroots to be something that reaches people outside of our walls and outside of our church. And so the language might be a little bit more colorful than some are used to at church. And we're trying to make a space where these people 
have the freedom to come here, but also will experience the truths that God is going to bring out there because that is also going to be a part of the event. But we just knew things had to change, and so we stopped. And, you know, I got to tell you, it's nice having that extra Friday off. It's kind of nice, you know, what do we, oh, we don't have the grassroots. Okay, hey, you want to go out and get something to eat? That's always, Karina, my favorite thing to do if we're not sure what we're going to do. Let's go eat. Okay, that sounds good. You want to go to the movies? Yeah, let's go to the movies. It's an extra night off. I'm not obligated to be there. I don't have to be there. But you see, if we would have said, yeah, you know, because December we're going to stop. I think with November we stopped. December, yeah, we're not going to do it. And then I was like, well, should we do it in January? Well, I think it's still too soon. And we could have easily said, you know what? Maybe it's time was done. Maybe it was through. You know, it's a lot of work. But we wanted to see it through. And what took place Friday would not have taken place if we would have given up. And what's going to take place in our community, more importantly in your life, will not take place if you give up. If you stop because the journey is too difficult. If you stop because someone speaks into your life and says, you should stop now. You should give up now. It's too much. You can't do this. And you quit. What will you miss? If you stop short. And so Elijah experiences the miraculous because he doesn't stop. But more so, verse 9 is really the key here. When they had crossed and Elijah couldn't get rid of him, Elijah said to Elijah, tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken away? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elijah replied. I want twice as much as you have. I love this. I shared this at the pastor's conference down in Baja. And I talked to the pastors and I said, you know what? I don't want people who will come up and support me. I want someone who sees what I'm doing and says, I want to do twice as much as you. I want someone who has a vision beyond my own. I want someone who says, yeah, what you've done is great, but I want to do twice as much. How many people feel threatened when someone comes up to them and says, well, what can I do for you? Well, I want twice as much as you have. Hey, buddy, <laughs> you're asking a lot. What do you mean you want twice as much as you, as what I've done? Yeah, I don't want someone who just wants to do what's being done. I want someone who sees further. I want someone who has passion to take things further. I want someone who says, you know what we can do here? We can get some pallets and we can put them up on a wall. What? How many pallets? One? No, I want to put three pallets up on the wall. What? I want someone who will take things further. I want someone who has ideas bigger than mine. I, I want people who are going to come alongside and take us as a community further than where I can take it. One of the things that we did in the creativity tour when I was up in the mountains is going through it at Terra Nova is David Arcos, who's leading the tour, challenged us. And he says, I want you to, to take your brush mentally and make your first stroke. 
I think it was Michelangelo that said that the most daunting thing was that first stroke. The empty canvas could be anything, but once I make that first stroke, I'm committed to doing something. And so he challenged us. He says, what's going to be your first stroke? This thing that's in your heart, this thing that you want to do, what is going to be your first stroke? And some people it was going to be to start a nonprofit. Some people it was going to be to start a movie. Some All these ideas. And in my first stroke, I was thinking, I want to see a church start in La Paz with this group of people. That was my desire is to help them get started. And so then he challenged us, what is your first stroke? And my first stroke was going to be to talk to them and to, to move forward in this and to be a part of this in what way that we could. And it was shortly after I went and had this conversation with them that they said, yes, we're going to start a church. We left our old church and we're starting this. And I thought, oh, wow. So now what do I do? And I told David, hey, this is what's happening. This is what they're doing. And he said, well, if you want... I can do this creativity tour down with them. And all of a sudden I thought, wow, that'd be a great idea. And so, yeah, that's where we're at. Let's do it. And that first stroke is the hard one. It's like, I want to do this. I want to see this happen. But until you step there and do it, nothing's being done. And Elijah said, I I want God to use me twice as much as he's used you. And and Elijah's reply, you've asked a difficult thing, verse 10, because I can only give you what I have, but what you're asking is more than what I have to give. And you see Elijah saying, I want to do the things you did, but I want God to give me more. How big is your God? How big are the things that you want to see take place? What is stopping you from seeing those things come into a reality? I love when I hear about like what Refuge is doing, going to an old home, an old folks' home, and then having a Valentine's dance. That is so cool. That is just great. Who thinks of these things? Someone who has a vision to do more. More than sit with kids at a table and have a Bible study. Nothing wrong with studying the Bible. But someone says, you know what? I want to do more. I want to take these kids, and I don't want to just teach them the Bible. I want to live it out with them. So they'll still go through Scripture, but they're doing more. And it's expanding this. And so the passion has to be there. And so he's asked a difficult thing in verse 11. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elijah saw this and cried out, my father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elijah saw him no more. Then he took hold of his garment and tore it in two. Elijah then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood at the bank of the Jordan. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. And so begins Elijah's ministry. 
And he did twice as much recorded as Elijah did. And if he would have stopped at Gilgal, if he would have stopped at Bethel, if he would have stopped at Jericho, he would have missed all of this. But he was persistent. He wanted this. And he wanted twice as much. Do you have passion to see God work in your life? What's going to stop it? What's going to quench it? Who can stop that fire? Or is your passion bigger than the voices that would still it? Is your passion bigger than the exhaustion that overtakes you at times? Is your passion for these things stronger and able to push you through so that you can see more take place than what's already taking place? See, God is looking for people who will do more. God is looking for people who are going to be passionate to want to see things take place. I got to tell you, you're going to make mistakes. Right after this, Elijah goes on and he gets some bear to kill some kids. It's kind of a bad scene. I don't think it was a good thing. I think it's there because Elijah had a lot of power, but he didn't have at that time a lot of character. Don't, you're going to make mistakes. You're, you're going to trip. You're going to fall. You're going to do things the wrong way and learn through that how to do things the right way. Will you quit because you stumble? Oh, I blew it. Oh, that didn't work out. Or will you push through and go forward because you have enough passion to see you through? See, I think one of the things that God is looking for is passion. He wants to see if we have the desire to see things take place. Turn with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 11. Another thing that God, I believe, is looking for is a willingness. Let's start at verse 10. 1 Chronicles 11, verses 10 through 14. David is king, but he hasn't yet taken power, and he's establishing for himself these mighty men who are going to be his warriors, the people who are going to help take the work that needs to be done forward. And so in verse 10, we see that these are the chiefs of David's mighty warriors. They together with all Israel gave his kingship strong support and extended it over the whole land as the Lord had promised. This is the list of David's mighty warriors. And so now we're going to get a list of these guys. Joshobim, a Hecamanite. He's a heck of a guy was chief of the officers. He raised his spear against 300 men whom he killed in one encounter. Who is David going to choose to be the chief of his mighty men? Well, this guy would be in the rankings. Wouldn't you think? This guy killed 300 men with his spear at one time. So I, I would put him his name on the ballot. Verse 12. Next to him was Eleazar, son of Dodai, the Ahohite, one of the three mighty warriors. He was with David at Pasdamen when the Philistines gathered there for battle at a place where there was a field full of barley. The troops fled from the Philistines, 
But they took their stand in the middle of the field. They defended it and struck the Philistines down. And the Lord brought about a great victory. And so Eliezer, here's a guy who stood his ground. He protected that field of barley because this is of value to them. And instead of running for his life, thinking about his own safety, he thought about the needs of what this barley meant and could supply. And he stood his ground and he fought off the Philistines. Here's another one for the candidate. This guy could be a chief. He, he would make the grade, I would think. Verse 15. Well, actually, let's go down to verse 20. Abishai, the brother of Joab, was chief of the three. He raised his spear against 300 men whom he killed, and so he became as famous as the three. He was doubly honored above the three and became their commander, even though he was not included among them. Here's another guy who just happens to kill 300. So he's in the running. Maybe if he would have killed 301, he would have had a little advantage over the other guy, but he only killed 300, but that's still pretty good. Okay, and so we're seeing this structure. There's these three men, and there's someone who's over the three men, but who's going to be their chief? Who's going to be the commander of all of David's men? Well, maybe verse 22. Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, a valiant fighter from Kabzeel, performed great exploits. He struck down Moab's two mightiest warriors. He also went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. It wasn't just going down into a pit with a lion. It was on a snowy day. First of all, what would make anyone want to go into a pit with a lion? Okay? That isn't, he's in the pit, I'm good. I'm up here, he's down there. No, he wanted to go into the pit with the lion, killed it on a snowy day. Okay? But that's not it. It goes on with that, with him. Verse 23. And he struck down an Egyptian who was five cubits tall, Although the Egyptian had a spear like a weaver's rod in his hand, Benaiah went against him with a club. So here's a guy standing close to seven feet tall, has a spear the size of a beam, and he went at him with a club. He snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. That's what this guy's about. Okay? Bam. Mark Batterson has a book called In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day. It's all about this account and just about this guy. Here's another one for the running. Here's another man who could be easily one of David's commanders. But instead, we see here, verse 24, Such were the exploits of Benaiah, son of Jehoadai. He too was as famous as the three mighty warriors. He was held in greater honor than any of the 30, but he was not included among the three, and David put him in charge of his bodyguard. Good choice, right? But who is David going to put as commander? Go up to verse 4. David and all the Israelites marched to Jerusalem, that is Jebus. The Jebusites who lived there said to David, you will not get in here. Nevertheless, David captured the fortress of Zion, which is the city of David. David had said, whoever leads the attack on the Jebusites will become commander in chief. Joab, son of Zeruiah, went 
up first. And so he received the command. What did he do? He went up first. Of all these mighty men, the man who became commander-in-chief was the one who stepped up first. I think so many times we are waiting for God to choose us and we don't realize that he already has. We're saying, God, use me in some way. God, do something in me. And God says, I already have chosen you to be used. It tells us in Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's plural which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And and I see this scripture and I see that God has set us to do good things. He has prepared us to do good things beforehand. And what we keep saying is, okay, tell me what good things. And God's saying, whatever good things you can do. There's a lot of good things. You can dance with the senior citizens on Valentine's Day. You can set up crates on a wall. You can load the trailer up. You can play music. You can talk to people. There are a number of good things you can do. Micah tells us that he has shown you, oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. It's not like you need a specific thing. There are a lot of things. And so do something. Because it's easier to steer the car when it's moving than when it's just parked. And you might find that if you take one step, a new door opens up. And if you take another step another thought and idea comes in. And if you take that first stroke and you paint the board, the next thing you might be doing is starting or helping to start a church in South Baja or to to step into an area starting your own nonprofit or to go and help some people that are in need or who knows what it can be. The world is the limit. No, that's too small. Your imagination is the limit. What you can imagine, you can do. If you put your heart and mind into these things, and this isn't a Disney, you know, whatever you, I don't know the Disney slogan is. But you see, God has put within you desires and passions. Are you going to see them through? Will you push forward in spite of the difficulty? In spite of the voices that say, oh, you can't do that. You're not talented enough to do that. I can't tell you how many times when I come up here, I think, man, I am not the person to be up here. I do not have the education to be standing in front. I guess I probably shouldn't be telling you this (laughs) Sunday. You know what he said? He shouldn't be there in front of us. So, but there's so many times I just think I'm not qualified to do this. I don't have the things that would in my mind, be necessary to lead in this way. But I do have passion. 
And I think sometimes the reason I'm here, and maybe the only reason I'm here, isn't because I'm smart enough, isn't because I'm educated enough, but maybe I just had enough passion to want to see something take place that I couldn't stop and be still. And maybe that's what's necessary in our hearts is more passion to see something take place in our lives. And, and maybe you see something going on here and you're thinking, I'd like to do more. Then that's the kind of person. Well, then what should I do? Then you need to be the one who steps first. Say, hey, you know what I want to do? What? I want to, whatever it is, that's your idea. But you have to be the one who first does it. I can't tell you how many times I, I've seen something and I thought, oh, this could be done so much better, but someone else did it first. Have you ever seen that? It's like, oh, I'd like to do that. Oh, but they did it first. And so now they're in there. I remember there was a work that was being t- taking place in Wales and the UK. And I remember it was incredible work and all these people who were at the skate park and stuff just connected to us and connected to God. And I just saw so much potential and I just wanted to, man, I'd like to get in there, but I wasn't the one who stepped in there first. I, I was there by invitation. And so when the, the person who was leading this and the pastor said, well, we're going to go and buy a building out of town and we're going to make up a church, I was thinking, no, the people are in town. You got more people going to Starbucks than are going to go to the church. And sure enough, as the church got a building and got established out of town, it ended up dying. And I remember thinking, oh, if only this could have happened. But you know what? I didn't step up first. Someone else did. And maybe there's something that you can think of that, man, I'd love to see this done, but you just didn't step up first. Don't let that be the case. Because then you're always living like, man, I wish I, I wish I, oh, I could have, I didn't. He stepped up first. And then the last thing, and real quickly, because it's not enough to have passion. With passion, with desire, and with that perseverance, you need to have love. See, if people are going to be a part of our community and are going to to lead Genesis, I want them to be people of passion, but I also want them to be people who love. And we talk about this quite a bit, but in Exodus chapter 20, God spoke the word saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. And Jesus, when they were testing him and the Pharisees got together, one of them, an expert in the law, tested Jesus with the question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your mind. And he's talking about this passage in Exodus. And then he went on and he said, and to love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. It's got to be motivated by the fact that we care enough to step into these areas of life. When Jesus looked at the church in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, 
Verse 2, he says, I know your deeds to the church of Ephesus, your hard work, your perseverance. I know you cannot tolerate wicked people and that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered. They have that passion. They push on and have endured hardship. They didn't listen to those voices, my, those hardships for my name and have not grown weary. They have all the things going for them, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider now how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove the lampstand from its place. And if we don't have that love, not only for God, but for people, then we are like a, a, a symbol that just rings, but is hollow. We, we have no real substance. There is no power in our passion. Because what we need is love. And there are times when I find myself having to repent and say, God, I'm doing this out of labor and I'm doing this because I feel I have to and and I've lost the love for you and for people. And sometimes I don't want to answer that phone call and I don't want to go to that appointment and I don't want to deal with this and I don't want this to go on because I'm getting tired of it. And the only thing that keeps me from getting tired or from getting burnt out is that I care. And so you can call me again and again with that struggle because I care about you. My kids never stop calling. They never stop when there's a need in their life. Why? Because they know I love them. And it is love that will push us past the mundane. And it will give our passion purpose. And maybe some of us here need to repent because love isn't what's driving us. It's duty. Maybe we need to, to repent and say, you know what? I need to get back to this place where God, I loved you and nothing mattered more than that. And we have to get to that place where we say, God, you care about the broken, the hurting, and I need to as well. So the things that need to drive us are the passion, the perseverance to want to see more take place and to do it because we care. We care enough to involve our lives with the lives of those around us so that they know we are there for them. And so I hope this is helpful if you have that question. God, what do you want to do with me? God is maybe asking you, what do you want to do? And he's challenging us to step in. And when you have an idea that you would like to see take place, Be the first in. And do it with a heart filled with love and concern for God and for people. Let's pray. Father, there are many times when we will have opportunity to stop 
to stop living for you, to, to call it quits, to give up, to check out at Bethel or at Jericho. Somewhere along the way, we just get tired and we don't want to pursue it. Lord, I, I pray that even as Paul told Timothy to stir up those gifts within his heart, that we would allow that passion to stir up within us. That we would not come short of seeing you do miraculous things. Lord, your word says that if we will sanctify ourselves, if we will set ourselves apart, that tomorrow you will do amazing things among us. And so, Father, today we set our lives apart and and we're not going to stop at Gilgal. We're not going to quit. We're not going to allow other voices to quench the fire within us. And we desire to do more. And Lord, we want to step into that area. We don't want to hesitate. Lord, you will use the ones who step in. And so may we be those people. And this morning, I want to challenge us. I want this talk to be something that challenges us to do more than than here. And maybe you're here this morning and something that is said has provoked you. You've had a desire to see something take place or to be used more by God and you want something to happen. You're not quite sure what, but you do want to step into that. And if you're here and that is describing your frame of mind, then would you stand with me and say, God, I want to be the person who moves forward. I want to be the person of passion. And I'm standing up just to to acknowledge before you, God, and before the people around me, I'm here. I'm not going to stop. And I want to be used. And if you're here this morning and maybe this Words that Jesus has said that you've done all these things, but something is missing. You have neglected that first love. Return back. And if that describes your heart and your condition, you're saying, God, I want to move forward in love, not out of duty. Stand with me and let's declare, God, we are here repenting just by standing and acknowledging Something needs to change in my heart. Change it, God. And Father, as we stand here before you, Lord, we are, as David's mighty men, wanting to step into a place that says, here I am, use me. Lord, we want to be the people that carry your vision further. God, we want to see twice as much take place as what's taking place. God, I want to make the difference. I am going to make the difference. And it starts with my passion. It starts with my desire. And it starts with the right heart. Use us for your sake. We ask again in Jesus' precious name. Amen.